0: The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello again and welcome to another edition of the TOSD Toddcast here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network. Found online at belmontmedia.org slash podcast and also on soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. You can listen to the Toddcast at your convenience by downloading the free SoundCloud app available on both iTunes and Google Play stores. I am Todd Blonniars from the award-winning timeout for Sports Talk TV show available on BMC Channels 9 and 29 and also on demand at belmontmedia.org. And uh, once again, we're talking Patriots. Glad to be joined by Evan Lazar. Once again, he's the Patriots beat reporter for CLNS Media. You can find that online at clnsmedia.com. And on Twitter, it's at CLNS Media. Evan is also the co-host of the Patriots All-22 podcast, which you can find at on Twitter, at All 22 And, of course, Evan has his own Twitter handle. That's Easy E-Z Lazar, E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. And... Uh, Evan, I got to start here, kind of a a little bit of an apology to you and all the Patriots fans who tune into our uh, podcasts because, uh, well, you know, we were uh, the plan was we were going to try every four weeks or so to kind of uh, do a little quarterly report on the Patriots, and we were good after the first four games, and then, uh, well, we got to the eight game mark, and I was so wrapped up watching the Red Sox on their postseason run, I just kind of plum forgot. All of a sudden, the postseason ended. And I, I look up and I went, oh boy, yeah, I think we were supposed to try to squeeze one in. But, uh, well, here we are, which is kind of, we'll call this the uh, two-and-a-half quarter report or something like that. Yeah, the, the
1: bye week report. It's all good. You know, we all kind of got caught up in uh, the Red Sox winning a little thing called the World Series. So <laughs> I, I kind of understand taking a second fiddle to a championship, especially in this town.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and all of a sudden, the Red Sox suddenly with uh, four World Series this uh, century. And that puts them just one behind the Patriots in Super Bowls. I mean, I don't... Yeah, catching up. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't think that was a possibility of happening. But uh, lo and behold, yeah, no, they're, here come the Red Sox <laughs> on the outside <laughs> coming up uh, coming up on the rail. Uh, well, uh, so... Uh, well, Evan, maybe this is an appropriate time to have you on because uh, maybe there hadn't been as much to talk about over the last uh, few weeks when the Patriots were uh, uh, kind of uh, going through their six-game win streak as there might be now coming off, uh, well, uh, their worst loss in four years, at least as far as point differential, uh, the 24-point loss Uh, to the Tennessee Titans the worst since that uh, Monday night clobbering uh, 2014 to the Kansas City Chiefs when everyone was convinced the Patriots dynasty was over they did go on to win the Super Bowl that year Um, but uh, Evan just to kind of uh, have you try to figure out what happened to the Patriots after they've been looking pretty good uh, for the last uh, six games uh, I'm trying to think of all the reasons they they lost this game at Tennessee and also lost it the way they did was it Uh, that they've just been so poor on the road all year? Is it that they were looking ahead to their bye week and it was kind of that proverbial trap game? Is it uh, head coach Mike Vrabel of the Titans and uh, defensive coordinator Dean Pease with all that institutional Patriots knowledge? Uh, Because the Patriots haven't lost a game since... uh, you know, uh, Matt Patricia beat them. So, is it that? Is it just that Brady had a bad game? I mean, what do you what do you uh, list as uh, probably the top reason or reasons why uh, the Patriots just looked so poor uh, in Nashville this week?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but the the top – I'll give you, like, my top three reasons. I think the first one is that they have struggled all season with playing on the road. Obviously, all three losses are road games at this point. And I think that one of the things the players, you know, talk about all the time to us is just that – it's hard to have that same energy and that same, uh, you know, resolve when you're on the road, when you don't have your home crowd to kind of pick you up after bad plays and to kind of keep the momentum rolling after good plays. And Devin McCordy said today, you know, it just started poorly right from the jump. You know, the opening kickoff goes 58 yards the other way, and they drive right down the field and score a touchdown pretty much, you know, with, with zero resistance more or less, and you're just behind the eight ball right off the bat, and you don't necessarily have that home crowd to supplement it and help you get back into the game. So I think that they are struggling with creating energy and kind of manufacturing their own energy on the road. And I think that you know, we can both agree that that game in Tennessee, you could just tell that there was some sort of fire or some sort of um, tenacity lacking from the team from the jump. And it was it was pretty obvious. And I think that, you know, when you look at the other road games that they've won recently, obviously the Chicago Bears game, uh, they won on the road and they also won in Buffalo. But the Bears game isn't necessarily, you know, commentary on this. But the game in Buffalo was a Monday nighter. Uh, There was a lot of, uh, you know, energy in that stadium in general, and there was also some kind of revenge factors or just factors of playing well against a team like for Stephon Gilmore, uh, Rob Gronkowski, that's his hometown team, you know, you have all these types of things, and you also have the fact that a division game thrown in there, which can kind of, you know, amplify things a little bit more than maybe an out-of-division game, but I think the second reason, just to get into some more of the technical stuff, when you have bad games from what I can see as, right now, the Patriots' three best players on offense and defense, if Rob Gronkowski is not out there, they have their three worst games of the season combined, you're going to lose a lot of games, and that's Tom Brady, Stephon Gilmore, and Trey Flowers. Both, you know, All three of those guys played poorly, but Stephon Gilmore and Trey Flowers in particular – played their two worst games of the season. I would say I think that Brady game in Detroit might have been worse than what we saw on Sunday, but it was close. And those two guys playing terribly on defense, I mean, if you have your two best defensive players playing badly, then it's just not going to look pretty on that side of the ball for any team. And I think the third thing is is there has to be some sort of truth to the fact that now the two te- you know teams that they've lost to, two out of three, have been expatriates coaches, or expatriate players, in Vrabel's case, but also just the in- knowledge of the GM, the coach, the coordinator, some of the position coaches, all being ex-Patriots, it was clear from the jump, in my opinion, uh, on the defensive side of the ball for the Tennessee Titans, that they were in the huddle at times with Tom Brady and the Patriots, and they really anticipated a lot of the things that the Patriots were going to run offensively, a lot of the things that they like to run uh, typically offensively, they kind of had a bead on, and uh, and they were really able to take away some of those easy uh, throws that were custom- to seeing Tom Brady make week in and week out. So I think all three of those things, energy, uh, just some poor play by some of your better players that you're not expecting, and also Vrabel and Dean Pease kind of having the book on Tom Brady, you know, pressuring him, specifically pressuring up up the middle with a couple of different blitz packages that they threw in there and some of the man-to-man cover one type coverages that they did on the outside. All those things are kind of the formula or the game script of how you want to beat Tom Brady, and they were able
0: to execute it. You know, uh, when it comes to the uh, the whole institutional knowledge, and I've been having this debate with my uh, my TV co-host, Howie McClown. We usually tend to watch a lot of the Patriots games together, and I tell him that that's a factor, but... You know, he, he always kind of tends to debunk it. He, he doesn't believe that it really is that big of a factor. And I guess the one thing that would work in his favor, I guess my question would be, if the if the if there's a former Patriot, somebody with a former Patriot connection that is going to know exactly what the Patriots are doing, for, first of all, why, why can't the Patriots then make adjustments uh, like at halftime to try to counteract uh, what the other team apparently knows?
1: Well, I think that the adjustment. I think the Patriots did try to make some adjustments in this game, going into the game knowing that Brable was going to know a lot of the things that they were going to try to run, and they tried to kind of go away from some of the things that they were accustomed to seeing them use, like the screen passes to the running backs or little dump off passes to James White out of the backfield, and uh, you know those little quick hitters that they have in the middle of the field as well. And they tried to. Go with a game plan, I thought, that was really predicated on attacking down the field with Josh Gordon, especially, you know, going on to go routes, trying to attack the corners, doing things that we aren't necessarily accustomed to seeing the Patriots do. And it kind of backfired on them because they were actually successful with doing the stuff that we're used to seeing, like throwing the ball to the middle of the field and uh, throwing to Julian Edelman on option routes and getting the ball in James White in their playmakers' hands early and seeing what they can do after the catch. Those are the things that kind of worked. And the things that didn't work were the things where they were trying to buck trends and go against maybe what they would normally do. So I think that some of it is kind of overcompensating as well right you know you you know that Brabel has his institutional knowledge so what you're going to do is you're going to you know revert back to things that maybe you don't have a tendency of doing but then you're doing stuff that's outside of your comfort zone so i think la- last week on sunday i think we can all agree that tom brady especially looked like he was outside of his comfort zone for most of that game and i think that maybe some of it was just making throws that are you know, scheming situations and, and making play calls that maybe we aren't really accustomed to seeing the Patriots run. And I think that that's kind of the cat-and-mouse game or the chess match, if you will, that you have with a former player and a former coordinator and Dean Peace being on the other side of the ball. And as much as, you know, I think that at the end of the day, execution is the number one important thing for anything. We can talk about all the scheme and all the coaching and all that stuff. The players don't execute. They don't execute. Now that Patricia and Vrabel have both beaten the Patriots this season, I think that you have to do the the prior knowledge. I mean, you lost two games where you played probably two of your worst games of the season, and Tom Brady played two of his worst games of the season against former guys that have either played against him in practice every single day or coordinated against him in in the past. And Patricia and Dean Peace, that's I don't think that's a coincidence that you know really those. The Bills game, which is a game where you're in the division and you're very familiar with guys uh, on both sides of the ball. The, the uh, Detroit game and this game against Tennessee were Brady's three worst games of the season. I don't think that that's the coincidence that those three teams also happen to know Brady the best.
0: I don't think it's a coincidence either, uh, Evan, but again, maybe to play devil's advocate here, and I'm I'm channeling again my co-host on my TV show, Howie McLeod, who wants to totally say that the, this is so overrated, this whole institutional knowledge. The truth is, if you're – okay, say you don't – you didn't come from the Patriots organization. You're just a coach of another team you do look at game film of your opponent going into the game, you kind of have a rough idea of what some of the tendencies of the Patriots are, don't you? Like, why do you need to have been involved in the organization when you could just look at game film and see, well, this is what they tend to to run, and, I mean, in general, I understand the Patriots will tweak things, but, you know, for the most part, there's certain kind of pet plays that they love to run, and I think it doesn't matter where you coached before or what organization you were with, if you look at enough film you should be able to figure that out right
1: sure sure and that's where and that's exactly where the execution and the players on the field uh, doing their jobs and all playing well factors into this you know you can have the best plan possible You can rush four and stack the middle of the field and bring pressure up the middle and do all the things that Tennessee was able to do. But if your players don't execute at a high level like the Tennessee defense did, then you're still not going to win the game. And I think that's really, you know, where the it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing. You know, is it player execution or is it scheme and coaching? It's probably a little bit of both. we're very good against Brady and the players are to go out and execute the players don't execute whether you know or you don't know and what you know this goes for any team in any situation if the players don't if they don't play well then none of the planning or the scheming or the game planning is going to you know be a factor at all
0: yeah uh, well uh, really quick Evan I, I don't you started to fade a little out there so hopefully we're not going to lose you totally uh, but uh, let me uh, well You know, you're right. I mean, again, I I think it is... It is kind of that chicken egg argument, but uh, you know you should be able to execute. Let's run down some individual factors here, and I, you know, I can give you a whole laundry list of offensive players, and I will. But you did bring up Stefan Gilmore. Let's start with him because there seemed to be a lot of talk going into this game, obviously because the Tennessee Titans have Malcolm Butler, the former Patriot, and you know the Patriots when they signed Gilmore basically were kind of saying to Butler, well, you know, we think there's a corner out there that we can get that's better than you, so they kind of chose Gilmore. Butler obviously uh we're not we don't have to rehash Super Bowl 52 again and we won't but Gilmore had been really since you know those first three games he played with the Patriots last year that first month he was getting adjusted but then from that point forward he played great this season it seemed like he was playing great and most teams didn't want to attack him yet the Titans did and did with success so how did that happen
1: well, I think that was a couple of things, you know, Corey Davis deserves a lot of credit. Uh he's kind of a player that, you know, they picked fifth overall in the draft last year. He dealt with injuries as a rookie and has really started to come on this season as a player that just has all of the things that you would look for in a receiver, which is why he went top 10, you know, size, speed, hands, uh ability to adjust within the route. All those good things that you see from a, a good receiver like that. I think that what we saw with Gilmore a few different things that the Tennessee defense, or office, excuse me, coaching staff did was they put Corey Davis a lot of the time in the slot, and they moved him a lot around pre-snap as well, and there were some situations clearly where Gilmore was 1-1 one one on an island. With Corey Davis without safety help, and I think the Patriots liked that matchup for whatever reason going into the game. Probably because Gilmore has just been so darn good all year that they just assumed that he would hold his own, and Corey Davis was able to just kind of get the best of it a few times. And there's a couple of big plays. The touchdown one is notable as well where they ran a double move on Gilmore. And I think that sometimes with double moves, Gilmore is a very aggressive corner, and he likes to try to get his hands on the ball and jump routes and anticipate things and do all that type of stuff. And he tried to do that a few times, and they beat him with a couple of double, different double moves, one on a third, big third down play later in the game. And obviously the touchdown earlier in the game are both double moves. So that was a big factor as well. But I think schematically the Patriots are really trusted – Gilmore to take Corey Davis on an island, one on one, man coverage, whatever you want to call it. And it really, you know, just kind of didn't go Gilmore's way on, on Sunday. And I was very surprised to see it. Obviously, I've been writing a lot of, all year long about how great Gilmore has been because he's deserved it. Uh, he's deserved the praise. He's been very, very good. But I think that they kind of went into this matchup thinking that he was going to be able to hold his own without safety help against Davis. And the one thing I will say, is that they did adjust a little bit in the second half and they played a little bit more zone and they started passing them off and doing some different things to kind of uh, slow Davis down a little bit in the second half. That seemed to work okay. Uh, but maybe going into the game, they really didn't. I think they underestimated Corey Davis's abilities a little bit.
0: Well, I can understand that to a degree and I can also understand why the Patriots coaching staff would expect Gilmore to uh, excel on the the island, as you say, because the prior week against Devontae Adams, uh solid veteran receiver. I mean, he did a great job holding him in check uh, in uh, single-man coverage.
1: Right. So, you know, I mean, all year long, whether it's been Devontae Adams or Sammy Watkins or Allen Robinson in Chicago, obviously Kelvin Benjamin's not really on the same level as the guy that I just mentioned, but him too uh, have really, you know, kind of been on Gilmore Island for, you know, the last four or five weeks, and Gilmore really shut those guys out completely in coverage. And Davis just, you know, got the better of them in this game. And I think that sometimes going into the game with Steph, you can kind of tell when the energy level and the intensity and the focus is there and when it's not at times. And I thought early on in this game, like a lot of the Patriots, uh, their intensity and their energy level wasn't exactly where it needed to be, and it it kind of burned them early on. But I I think that a lot of it is just really you just got to tip your cap to Corey Davis and say, you know, he made some really good plays.
0: I know the Patriots' bye week is a little later in the schedule this year than um, recent years, and so my question to you here, Evan, would be, do you think, you you kind of alluded to it, have the Patriots, Were a lot of these players just simply looking ahead. This is this kind of what they call the proverbial trap game? You've got the late bye. The team's probably feeling feeling like, well, we could really use this bye to, to, to rest up. And then you just sort of get caught looking ahead. So you, you come off the big Sunday night win against Green Bay, where the defense is able to kind of keep Aaron Rodgers under wraps. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're up here, you know, you're making the trip to Nashville, and it's just everything that could go wrong did
1: Yeah, I think it's been a long, I mean, the players, and I would never want to throw the players under the bus for for that type of thing, and the players obviously would never admit to not trying as hard as they would like, or kind of looking ahead to a vacation or anything like that, but it's been a long season, I mean, this this group of guys really hasn't had a break in football-wise since really July when they started training camp. You know, it's really been since that point on, it's been nothing but football and nothing but work for them. So it's been a long grind. I mean, 10 straight games without a bye week and the preseason games as well. They've played 14 straight games and the you factor in training camp. We all know how grueling that can be in the, in the summer heat and the conditioning that goes into training camp and all that kind of stuff, too. It's a lot going on, and it's really been a long kind of haul. And even us reporters, at times, can kind of feel, you know, uh, that we're not even out there playing, and we and we can kind of feel the grind start to set in at this time of the season, where you know it's just day in and day out of of uh, kind of a regimen here, going down to Foxborough, and for these guys, obviously practicing and playing and doing all that stuff is way harder. So. I think that that's, you know, a big factor in this. They were feeling good. They went six in a row. They were, you know, kind of rode the ship. They were 7-2. and two. They were in a good position, and now they obviously have four of their last six games are against the AFC East, which I know they're not going to admit to, but I'm sure that they're looking at it and saying that those are all pretty winnable games. And then again, you know, you played 10 games before the bye. They only have six games after the bye. So it's really kind of a, we're getting... To the end here, and it's a pretty mini season here after the bye week. Where in years past, you could have the bye week in week five or week six, and you have the whole season ahead of you, it seems. Now it seems like the Patriots really have, you know, only six games left. So it's, uh, it's not as much. So I think that there was some looking ahead to the bye week, kind of waiting to get to that, uh, that little break. And I think mentally and physically a lot of the Patriot players uh really could use that break especially you know there's a lot of guys on this team that we have to remember I mean it's not just Tom Brady obviously he's kind of the big the ringleader of this but a lot of these guys are you know veteran players that have a lot of snaps logged over the course of the season you know 600 700 snaps some of them talking about you know like the McCourties and and those types of players that have just been out there for a lot of football already this year and I think all of them are are pretty much looking forward
0: to this break. Yeah, that's uh, you know certainly, and you kind of alluded to the schedule too. Uh, For their last five games, had been played at night. So it's been kind of a crazy schedule for them, and then you know, just getting back to playing at one o'clock, it's almost like the proverbial West Coast team having to fly east to play. I mean, I right. I bet you that Tennessee, Nashville at one o'clock on Sunday, might have felt like ten in the morning to to some of these guys with all the night games they've recently played. But uh, let let's get to the quarterback. Let's get to Tom Brady. I did read. Uh, I managed to look through one of your uh, columns uh, that you you uh, posted yesterday. Uh, wh- you said what went wrong with uh, Brady and the offense, and there's just you know you start off by saying there is a lot to digest from his performance on Sunday and there certainly was um you know I I think one of the biggest takeaways for me obviously the third down struggles uh Brady looking off on his throws although you could make a case that's been arguably the case all year but maybe the biggest thing and I I think I heard this stat earlier this afternoon uh somewhere uh, on one of the radio stations or something but uh you know, Tom Brady used to pride himself as being the guy who, like, could just totally destroy you. Like, if you blitzed Brady, he would burn you. And I I guess right now Brady, I think, has the lowest quarterback rating of any quarterback who's, like, played regularly uh, when they're going up against the Blitz. I mean, he's got, like, a Q, uh, quarterback rating of, like, 59 when going against the Blitz, uh, and it's ranked worst in the league and I mean, what's what's some of the rationale for that, you think, Evan? I mean, is some of it just that he's he's simply 41? Is it that he, he missed a lot of the OTAs? I mean, you want to bring that up, too, that he, he just wasn't as um, – his practice time has gone down? I mean, what what do you think is a cause for concern there?
1: Yeah, I, I saw this. I think it was an ESPN stat. And I just want to say quickly that some of those blitzing stats are really subjective. It really depends on what – people that are watching the film or what, you know, the next-gen people also use just, like, player data with chips and stuff like that that isn't even film-oriented. It's decided by computers. So it's really, like, uh, subjective into what you decide a blitz is. Is a blitz anything from the second level or third level? Is a blitz five or plus more rushers? You know, you kind of get that kind of – it can get confusing. But Tom Brady against the blitz, I think that is kind of a – bigger-picture issue of Tom Brady under pressure in general, this year has been nowhere near as good as he was, especially last year during his MVP campaign. Last year during the MVP run, he had about a 97 passer rating under pressure. It's down to 70 this year. It was number one in the league last year by a wide margin. We're kind of seeing, and I, I'm going to write about this actually because I think this is kind of the biggest issue. I don't really see as much of an issue with his down downfield accuracy or ball placement or the way the ball is coming out of his hand or anything like that. Anything to do with arm strength or you know, what Ron Parker on FS1 wants you to believe or whatever. I see much more issues with how he's handled pressure and how he's processed pressure uh, in the pocket. And the main thing that i are basically two things. One, his accuracy and his decision making under pressure have really committed from last year. Last year you could bring the house against him and he would just stand in there on phase and he'd rifle a pass a downfield to a receiver, an open receiver and he would still go through his reads, he'd still find the open man. This year it's not happening in the same kind of rate as it did. The other thing that I am seeing is that he's bailing on plays this year a lot faster than he would in years past. And I think this is kind of where his age is coming in and where the long game is factored into this whole thing. And that is that, you know, the Patriots don't need Tom Brady to be taking these massive hits in the pocket while delivering passes to make the playoffs and to ultimately have a chance to get to where Tom Brady wants to be, which is obviously the Super Bowl. So, I think that there is some sort of game management going on with Tom Brady that they, whether it's him making that subconscious decision or the coaching staff along with him making that conscious decision, it's something about it is off because one of the things that was examples I, I put this on my Twitter account, was just that he, as soon as he saw a free rusher coming through the line of scrimmage, he threw the ball into the third row, and there was – open, there was check downs open, there were instances where he would also turtle, which we've seen in the past, but I think he's done it more this year than other years, where he sees that pressure coming, he just goes down right in the pocket right there, takes the sack, moves on to the next play instead of maybe standing in the face of pressure and taking on a hit and throwing the ball downfield and finding an open receiver to keep the chains moving. So his handling of pressure, I think, is more the the biggest problem or the biggest decline in his play that I've seen this year compared to last year. Now, one thing I will say just to wrap it up is that pressure and the way that quarterbacks handle pressure is often not Uh, you know, year to year is often not equal, right? So some years the pressure can be different or it could be worse or it could be, you know, just uh, the – Play around him could be different. The receivers may not be getting as open. The uh, offensive line might be giving up pressure quicker than in years past, or something like that. It's just not year to year. It's not consistent. So a lot of the time, we see a lot of these quarterbacks. One year they have a great passer rating against pressure, against the blitz, and the next year it's just completely different because the situation just changes every game and every year. So I think a lot of it has to, uh, you know, kind of factor into that. You know, his receivers being what they are, and they kind of going in and out of the lineup, whether it's adding Josh Gordon or having Gronk in, Gronk out, Edelman in, Edelman out, all those types of things I think are all kind of adding up to us seeing Tom Brady not as sharp as we are used to seeing him, but I don't think that it's anything that's physically declining with Brady. I think that's there is some things going on with him mentally mechanically that have changed because of a, of a result of whatever it may be. And honestly, uh, only Tom Brady kind of knows the answer to that question. And we would love to ask him that question. I'm sure I will try and I will probably not get an answer. Um, and that's just kind of the way that, that, you know, the business works. But I think that, you know, he, um, he's made some conscious business decisions i will say and i think that he is playing the long game with those decisions because he's saying to himself we're gonna go 12 and 4 at worst we're gonna go 11 and 5 and we're gonna be in the dance and all i care about is being in the dance in january and then at that point i can make anything happen because i'm tom brady
0: well i don't know if i would. Totally agree with with all of that. I mean, I kind of maybe understand where he's coming from. By the way, Evan, you, you you do keep cutting in and out from time to time, so I don't know. Maybe we need to try to keep you if he can if he can kind of stay in one spot. But anyway, let me let me address this with Brady. Um, one of the things that I you know, and I I hate to go the talk radio route on this, but is it possible that Brady has misjudged in his own mind that that he wants to spend more time with his family, and he doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't attend the OTAs, and he, he misses a practice here or there. I mean, at 41 years old, he probably, I know he said at times, I know all the, you know, I, I have all the answers to the test, but I, I do wonder that, you know, if if you just lose even a half a step, uh, just because you are getting older, I know you said the age isn't really the reason here, but maybe Brady has just misjudged the fact that, he thought he knew everything and he didn't have to necessarily give the 120% that he's always given. And he's, he's bringing it down to like 95%, but maybe that's not enough given that he's 41 years old. Is that at all possible?
1: It's definitely possible. I mean, the the one thing I will say to that is that I think that, and this was kind of what I said during all of this off season, Michigan, is that I think that we're missing the fact that, just because Tom Brady wasn't at practice and wasn't at OTAs didn't mean that Tom Brady was not working, right? You know, it doesn't mean that he wasn't working on his on his craft and throwing passes with his coaches and with Alex Guerrero and inviting, uh, you know, players over to throw with him and uh, Julian Edelman, especially, I know, is there uh, with Brady a lot in the offseason throwing in, in the backyard or over in Brookline or whatever. So I think that, you know, it's definitely possible that that's a factor. I just don't think that the way that he's playing is, you know, uh, he's not as sharp with what his, you know, mechanics or his throwing motion or whatever it may be. I think that he's just not handling the things around him as better, as well as we might have seen in the past. And maybe some of that is not going to OTAs, but, I mean, at this point of the season, he's played eight you know played nine games entering this game ten games now he had all of training camp i just don't know if that is necessarily what's happening here because it's at this point of the season he should have plenty of reps against live action to kind of overcome any otas that he may have missed you know in the off season i guess is what i'm saying
0: okay fair enough evan let's talk about the personnel then because that's the next place we have to go you've alluded to it uh I'm not sure where to start on this. I guess you could look at Sunday's game. You you would have to think the two binkies that Brady had out there for sure, his security blankets, James White, Julian Edelman. Edelman did put up some good numbers, but there were some other times the Titans covered him well, whereas uh, James White was kind of held in check, only five catches, certainly uh, below his average per game. Uh, so then we look at uh, Josh Gordon, 12 targets uh, seems like a lot more targets than normal, especially for someone who it still seems like as you watch Gordon out there, there's really only a few limited plays that he can give you um, in the in the Patriot offense. So do you think that Brady was trying to force it at times uh, on Sunday uh, to Gordon?
1: Yeah, I think there was some forces, and I think the main thing that I saw was that Patriots, I think, going into this game with Josh Gordon really liked the matchup against the Dory Jackson. I think they thought that that was the matchup that Josh Gordon was going to win. And whenever Josh Gordon had one-on-one on the outside and they, they had just this system safety in the middle of the field, Brady went to Josh Gordon. It was like decided pre-snap that that was where he was going with the football a lot of the time. So I think a lot of those situations were kind of game plan specific where the Patriots came into the game and they just thought that Josh Gordon would make plays on Dory Jackson and it just didn't happen that way. So some of that is, uh, you know, it's on the players, obviously, to better execute things. But sometimes you could just don't make plans on that on that particular day. And there were definitely some instances on that. Josh Gordon one is in specific early on in the game uh, where Brady kind of went through his hands on a jump ball down the sidelines that you just would expect Josh Gordon to come down with that pass on a normal basis. So There's definitely some forces, and I think that some of it was uh, determined that they just really liked uh, Josh Gordon matched up one-on-one on on the outside with any of the Titans' cornerbacks, and they were kind of willing to go at it uh, that way as well. And and I think that, you know, the guys around Tom Brady – the offensive line, the receivers, it's all a factor into why Tom Brady's play over the last three weeks hasn't been the same as it was, you know, kind of against Kansas City and against Indianapolis and when he was really playing very well this season. So I think all of it is kind of a factor. And James White is really the biggest one that was kind of a head-scratcher to me because there were definitely situations where he was open and he could get the football to James White and he just decided not to throw that direction and he was throwing, trying to push the ball downfield a lot in that game. I felt like instead of just taking those easy yards that we're used to seeing the Patriots take where they just dump a two or three yard pass off to James White and count on his legs and his elusiveness to make a guy miss and pick up a first down that way. Instead, it was a lot of stuff going down the field. I mean, it's third and four, third and six, those types of situations. You're not usually accustomed to seeing the Patriots throw the ball 10 to 15 yards down the field when it's third and four. You know, that that's a situation where you see James White come out of the backfield on a little option route, beat a linebacker to the spot, and and just pick up the first down with his legs, or Julian Edelman uh, over the middle, or something like that. In this game. I felt like they were really trying to attack more downfield. Whatever they saw on the film with the Titans, that's what they felt. They were vulnerable, and it just, it just didn't work. It just didn't work at any level. And I was, uh, I was pretty surprised that they'd never really adjusted to getting the ball at the James White hands more because in all the losses they've had, for the most part, that you can kind of point to James White not getting his share of the load, and, and, not, and especially in Detroit and in this t- Tennessee game. I thought in Jacksonville it was kind of a tough matchup again for him with those speedy linebackers. But in those two games, that these two games should have been big James White games, uh, talking about Detroit in this one, and, uh, and they just weren't. And, and Tennessee didn't do anything. I, I watched you know, the, the coaches film today and really tried to see if Tennessee did anything in particular to take James White out of the game. And they really didn't. It wasn't like they were double-teaming him or anything like that. And I thought that they really missed some opportunities there.
0: No, but, uh, you know, just to get what you were saying, uh, there was one thing I I think they did. The first time White caught the ball very early in the game, he got kind of laid out. I mean, he he was hit pretty hard. And I just wonder if if that might have played any kind of factor, just throwing a little bit of extra physicality on James White. Uh, I can't help but go all the way back to Super Bowl thirty-six when the Patriots were getting extra Extra physical with the Rams receivers, and it took them out of the game. Do you think possibly, you know, that early hit was kind of a statement by the, the Titans defense that was going to, you know, try to, you know, let James White know, hey, you know, it's going to be a long day for you?
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. I mean, I think that that's definitely a possibility, and they, they definitely were cognizant of James White, uh, you know, where he was on the field, and they weren't going to give him any easy yards. But I I still thought that there were some situations where they could have dumped it off to him a few times and they kind of set up some of those scheme plays where they push vertical and they clear a side out for James White to just kind of make a a guy miss in space that we're so used to seeing. And the ball just went elsewhere. Brady just didn't throw him the ball. Uh, On the play, uh, the fourth down play that everybody's kind of highlighted at this point, uh, Chris Hogan had Malcolm Butler beat on a double move. I think this is the beginning of the fourth quarter. Uh, He had Malcolm Butler beat on a double move on the outside. But on the other side of the field, James White also torched the linebacker on the wheel route. And Brady just went to Julian Edelman. He admitted uh, to Jim Gray that he was just locked in on Edelman and just didn't really see the whole field. So I think there was a lot of those types of situations. And for whatever reason, it just wasn't Brady's best day in terms of decision-making and reading the field and seeing the entire field and processing what was going on in the Tennessee secondary. And uh, and it just kind of backfired in – for James White in particular in the box
0: score. Well, you brought it up. Uh, you brought up his name, so I'm going to kind of go on in this direction because I wanted to run through some other offensive players and what's happened to him. Chris Hogan. Now, you just mentioned that the Patriots obviously loved the Josh Gordon matchup, and they were trying. And that's why he was targeted 12 times. You're telling me that Bill Belichick, who benched Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl, who Malcolm Butler statistically is one of the worst-rated defensive backs this year playing uh, for Tennessee, you're telling me there wasn't a way Hogan couldn't have exploited that matchup? But, again, this goes back to the fact that the Brady seems to have, uh, and, you know, it's like Chris Hogan's on the witness protection program. This was a guy who used to be one of Tom's favorite targets. I, I know what happened early in the year. Hogan was trying to play Edelman's slot position, and he struggled. But now Hogan's back to his natural, you know, X receiver position, and he continues to sort of be, you know, Brady's still not looking for him. What's What do you think is a, a factor there?
1: Yeah, there's something going on with Chris Hogan and Tom Brady's trust level. I think that that's pretty obvious. I will say that, you know, they kind of demoted Malcolm Butler to the third cornerback spot on Sunday, Dory Jackson and Logan Ryan. For the guy's in their base defense package, and Malcolm Butler was the nickel or third corner on the field, and he got the matchup with Chris Hogan, who just has not gotten open a whole lot this year, and especially not outside of the scheme. And he did get open on that double move, and the ball should have probably gone in that direction, and it just didn't. That was really the only opportunity that I saw on tape that was like a glaring miss from Brady to Hogan. And I think the play right before the half where Hogan was supposed to break off the route earlier than he did, and it was a little sideline out to set up the field goal before the half, and Hogan just didn't run the route properly, and Brady, you could tell, was not pleased, and he was barking at him pretty good. There's some sort of trust there. Uh, Hogan's not running with the route exactly how Tom Brady wants him to run the route, and he's also not creating a ton of separation uh, as well. And I, I think that, you know, as much as you would have liked to have seen him attack Malcolm Butler, who has struggled with other guys in the past, Malcolm Butler struggled against receivers in the last you know month or so, especially, that are just a lot more talented than Chris Hogan is. I mean, Amari Cooper is just a better receiver than Chris Hogan. Um, you know, early on in the season, he got matched up a couple of times against Will Fuller or the Texans, who's just a better receiver, uh, and, and so on and so forth. So I think that what we're seeing a lot in this season in particular is that Chris Hogan is who he is. And he has kind of held down a nice role because he's, gotten into the system and gotten into some scheme situations where the Patriots are able to get him open and he's able to kind of just be productive in his role, which is a very complex role, actually, I would say, in the Patriots offense. Certainly not as complex as as Julian Edelman's, but definitely more complex than some of the other receivers where he can play inside, he can play outside, he can be a dummy guy, he can be a clear-out guy. Uh, A lot of those fake screen passes, he's kind of involved in those too, and the cadences and the acting that goes into that is a a pretty big deal to pull those plays off so he has a pretty complex role and he does a lot of different things for the Patriots and runs routes out of a lot of different spots along the offense but this year in particular there's some sort of trust issue with Tom Brady because Tom Brady's just not throwing in the football even when he is open and there's also just some separation issues and maybe Chris Hogan just kind of regressing back to the mean in terms of who he really is.
0: And then, of course, there's Gronk. <laughs> and uh, when he's out there on the field and, you know, I the more this season goes on and, you know, different reports that you're hearing and just, you know, the fact that, you know, Rob Gronkowski continues to say, you know, he he loves to play football because it's fun. But when it's not fun for him, he, he just – he's not as interested – Uh, obviously all the incentives that were in his contract this season, he's not going to make them. So maybe that's leaving him bummed. Maybe the back and the ankle, those things have, uh, left him a little disappointed too. Um, you know, where, I I guess I'd ask you on a couple different levels here, Evan, where is his head at? And also, is, did we did Belichick really think that there was like a, you know, maybe a better than 50-50% chance that Gronk was going to play this week and so he had him fly all the way down with the team only to stand on the sideline for three hours? It just, I don't know, are there games? You'd hate to think that there's games going on here. This is the Patriots we're talking about, but it would have made more sense that if Gronk is banged up, why don't you just let him stay home? He's got the bye. He comes out fresh for the final six games, which is where you want him to be. Yeah, I just don't know what to think of him now. This is starting to feel more and more like a lost season for Gronk. And there's times Brady's excelled without Gronk. I mean, we've seen it, but there's something else is missing this year. What What are your thoughts on this situation? Well,
1: I think that his, his, demeanor and his public attitude right now has been as somber and just as negative as I've ever seen it out of out of Rob Gronkowski and I've obviously followed the player for his entire career so you know that's hard to say And I think that a lot of the times with these players when you just aren't playing up to your potential and Rob Gronkowski's obviously been one of the most dominant receivers in the league for the last decade when you're not that guy anymore you know it it's demoralizing i mean he just can't find kind of a rhythm in this season and even when he's been out there it certainly hasn't looked as you know dynamic or as a uh, you know explosive as he has in the past and uh, obviously a lot of that has to do with the injuries that he's going through and he's going through a lot um you know in terms of his body but I think it's just got to be demoralizing for a player like that to be at the pinnacle of the NFL, the best tight end in the league unanimously uh, by pretty much everybody's standards except people that maybe, you know, live in Kansas City and he just goes from that to being, you know, the Rob Gronkowski that we've seen where he's in and out of the lineup and he's just not quite as effective when he is in there. That's got to be, you know, tough to deal with. And I think that's kind of what you're seeing with his emotions and why he's been down and not as, as you know, kind of jovial and excited and and you know, happy as we've maybe seen him in the past. Although there has been in recently, I uh, know the press conference he did. I don't count uh, after the one that was the bad one. I think it was last week at, at his locker. That was, in my opinion pretty staged for him to act as uh you know silly and smiley as he was but just seeing him walk around the locker room and talk to his teammates off the record and stuff like that it's been a little bit better i would say than what we were seeing uh you know when he really got injured around the chicago game uh you know around that time and i i think that taking him to tennessee uh as much as um You know, as much as I understand your perspective, I think that some of it has to do with the fact that when you travel to these road games, you have to rule out the player the night before. Uh, You have to rule out the player. I think it's by eight o'clock local time or seven o'clock local time or something like that. And, uh, you know, you just, the other team does kind of get a beat on whether or not Rob Gronkowski is going to be in the lineup a lot earlier than a home game when you don't need to announce that until an hour and a half before an active's come outside. I think there was a chance that Rob Gronkowski was going to play, or at least a good enough chance to put him on the plane. And I also think that there was a little bit of gamesmanship uh, with Tennessee and with Mike Grable to uh, kind of mask it and not give Tennessee any type of uh, lead way into what, he was, his status was going to be and whether he was going to be out there or not. So I think that there's some of that to it as well. And also, you know, the play, the Patriots, you know, just to add this into there, have taken a lot of the players that have been injured on road trips this year. It's mostly been the rookies. Uh, guys like uh, Danny Etling and Jawan Bentley have made road trips all year pretty much, even though they're, uh, you know, Etling's obviously on the practice squad and uh, Bentley's on IR and he's not coming back this year. Those guys have all made trips. So it's not out of the realm, you know, to make a trip like that, especially I think that, you know, he might have been a little bit closer this week than he might have been uh, last week. And I think that you know, there's some, some reports out there that basically said, you know, the Patriots were just cautious with this one. And if it had been a playoff game or something like that, then Gronk would have been out there. But there was really just no reason to push it. And I, I definitely think there is something to the games in Chip Angle with Gronk uh, making the trip so they didn't have to rule him out the night before.
0: Speaking of gamesmanship, uh, Mike Vrabel, and, and maybe I'm in the minority on this. Uh, first of all, the Bra- the Patriots ran the uh the same play they ran in the Super Bowl, and uh the the little double pass play where Brady makes the catch, and if Brady doesn't, at stumble, least he caught
1: it this time, right? He
0: did catch it, but then he stumbled and and fell short of the first down as a result. Then Marcus Cannon has the false start, fourth and sixth, you know, and they don't convert, obviously, but. Okay, so that play doesn't work, but on the very next series when Tennessee has the ball, actually it might have been the first play right after they got the ball back on the failed fourth down by the, the Patriots, Rabel runs the same thing. He runs, and, and they are able to get a first down and then when he's asked about it after the game, he just goes, well, I wanted to see if we could run it better than they did. And Yeah, I mean, I kind of understand Vrabel. I mean, I know his time as a player with the Patriots did not end the way he wanted to because he was traded out of town to Kansas City. I kind of get that. And I also understand that he and Belichick didn't talk for a couple of years, but supposedly they kind of patched things up. Uh, I still thought, again, I'm in the minority on this, I believe, Evan, I thought it was kind of a Bush League play. You do something like that, to me, it's kind of one of those karma plays. You're already winning the game. You've won the game. You're dominating the game. You do something like that, it comes back to bite you at a later time, like maybe the playoffs if these two teams were to meet up. I just think it's, you know, it's not a good idea. You know, it's the whole poking of the bear for whatever. I, I just don't think Vrabel – I mean, I understand it's maybe in Vrabel's character to do that, but – I don't know. I just think there's too many ramifications down the road. And then the other weird part about this was after the game, you know, you saw Brady and Vrabel, no, I'm sorry, you saw Belichick and Vrabel meet at midfield and kind of give their congrats and there was a hug or whatever. It's like Belichick didn't seem to mind. And there were times if you're watching on the TV broadcast, every time they'd cut to Belichick as, as the, the game really was getting more and more out of reach Belichick really didn't seem to have much in the way of emotions. Like, I don't know, is there some feeling of resignation? I would have expected him to be a little more ticked at Vrabel for doing something like that. I, it just everything just sort of seemed out of sorts to me. I mean, what do you, what were your thoughts when you saw Vrabel, uh, you know, come back and try to pull the same Pat's play?
1: Yeah, well, actually, he he ran Philly Phillies. <laughs> he actually ran right. the play from the Super Bowl that the Eagles used against the Patriots. So not only was it. Uh, you know, kind of a a copy of what the Patriots had just tried to do with Tom Brady. He also ran the exact same play from the Super Bowl, and the Patriots' version of the play was not the same as as the Eagles' version. So there was a little bit of a double, you know, kind of salt in the wound uh, there for the Patriots. And, and yeah, I understand uh, where you're coming from. I I think that, you know, a lot of the Titans players after the game, Deion Lewis obviously in particular, uh, talked some pretty good, crap about the Patriots after this game and uh, I think overall you know you, you kind of look at that and you say alright you know Tennessee uh, good win obviously you are the much better team on Sunday and you deserve to win mm-hmm. but at the same time uh, you know you could play the Patriots again in January it's not out of the realm of possibility that both these teams will make the playoffs I'm sure the Patriots will make the playoffs so it's really up to Tennessee to hold that end of the bargain and my guess is that that game is going to go a lot differently than this one did. I'm not saying that the Patriots, you know, are definitely going to win if that game happens, but I'm sure it will be a lot closer and a lot more competitive. So I I think that there are are some things to that where, you know, you hear what Deion Lewis has to say. Uh, Mike Brabel kind of, um, you know, a lot of people have said to me that that's kind of Mike Brabel's personality, that he was always kind of a guy that uh, was throwing jabs back and forth and was a big-time prankster and jokester and all those types of things during his playing days. So a lot of those, things kind of you know are in his personality to kind of uh you know throw those things back at forth at people i there's a lot of really good stories about him picking off tom brady in practice and and uh, really given it to brady and him and brady getting into it a little bit over it because he would just not let brady hear the end of him you know getting an interception on him in practice so uh, you know there, there's some things to that with his personality but i think there was a lot of titans players and you know you can kind of understand why some of the guys that left in free agency to go to uh tennessee in particular Deion lewis malcolm butler logan ryan uh mike rabel obviously um you know in the coaching ranks that took this game extremely personally uh, that it was a very much a personal game and they came out and they played like it they played like the team with more fire and more kind of uh desire to win this game and that's why they did win now i i agree that you know it, it it could come back and bite them uh, in the butt in uh, in January if these two meet
0: again. Well, what do you basically? I think the easiest way to look at this is, let's reverse the roles. What if the Patriots had done that? What would be the hue and cry going on around the country right now, uh, and even local talk radio for that matter?
1: Well, right, and then, you know what? The Patriots have done it in the past you know the, the patriots have definitely thrown out some trick plays and, and some plays uh, you know that maybe weren't exactly in the best uh, you know sportsmanship of the game if you will you know the the drop kick by Doug Flutie comes to mind you know, there's a couple of other ones i'm sure that i'm just basing on right now where the patriots have had comfortable leads and they've done plays done trick plays made you know thrown the ball down the field or, or whatever the case may be to try to score and try to run up the score. Certainly in 2007, they ran up the score on every single team that they had the opportunity to, um, you know, scoring into the 50s and and doing all that stuff and not being shy about it. So uh, I think that there is some, you know, the Patriots have done this in the past as well, so you can't really be ticked off if you're Bill Belichick or, uh, you know, have a problem with it if you're Bill Belichick because you've done it to other teams. And and Vrabel obviously knows that better than anybody.
0: Okay, well, and maybe that's why Belichick reacted the way he did after the game too, just took it all in stride. And you're right. I mean, you know, uh, you know, this is kind of like for the rest of the country, it's the proverbial chickens are coming home to roost. Belichick, you did this for years. Now we've got a chance to do it back to you and we're going to take advantage of it. Let me uh, conclude with this, Evan. What do you uh, think uh, of the You know, after this bye week, will the bye cure all of the Patriots' ills? You did mention only six regular season games remain when the Patriots come out of the bye. They'll, uh, they haven't even played uh, the Jets yet, but they'll uh, go to the Meadowlands to play the first of their two meetings uh, when the Patriots come off this bye. And then aside from the uh, divisional games, they've also got uh, games at home against Minnesota and at Pittsburgh against the Steelers team that's uh, really playing well. They'll go the rest of the year without Le'Veon Bell, but they apparently don't need him. So uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts here on, on the Pats the rest of the way? Uh, can they, uh, you know, put themselves? I mean, this is about the time of year where the Patriots tend to hit their stride. The one thing that's kind of interesting about this loss is typically these kind of losses like they had Sunday in Nashville would be happening, say, a month earlier. When you get to November, December, Patriots don't usually have stumbling block games like this to this level. So uh, what, what are they going to look like? You, what do you think they're going to look like coming out of the break?
1: Well, I think that they have a nice little matchup to kind of uh, after the bye week to get back on the right side of things against the Jets. They just lost at home to the Bills in a in pretty convincing fashion. So I think the Jets are, are definitely not a team that scares me by any stretch of the imagination. But you know, as cliche as it sounds, or as Patriot Belichick-y as it sounds, uh, this team needs to get just back to playing complementary football. And right now they're just not doing that. You know, they're not playing well enough on special teams. They're not playing well on offense or defense. And this is really, you know, obviously they they were before this game. I think it's, you know, we're reacting a lot to one game, and it's all fair criticisms and everything, but uh, they were just on a six-game winning streak, and none of this stuff that's coming up uh, now would have come up if they had just taken care of business in Tennessee. Uh, So I think that there's some sort of, um, you know, thing to be said about that where if the bye week had come a week earlier and they had just beaten Green Bay – and Aaron Rodgers by two touchdowns on national television, uh, maybe we wouldn't be having such a doom and gloom podcast here today. Um, But at the same time, I think that the main thing is, you know, offense and defense and special teams all feed into each other, you know, that – that opening kickoff sets up the defense on its heels, and then they give up a touchdown, and so then the Tennessee Titans can kick off to the Patriots, and the Patriots then have to drive 75 yards instead of getting a shorter field, and all those types of things. When you don't drive the ball on offense, then it puts the defense in a tougher situation because the field position battle gets you know tilted in one direction. So that's all complimentary football. That's all Bill Belichick's you know bread and butter right there. You get all three phases playing like they did uh, against uh, you know Green Bay. And enduring that a lot of this stretches is that six game winning streak. This team's going to be a- absolutely fine. Uh, and I think that you can kind of just write this Tennessee game off as a confluence of, of factors kind of adding up to just a really Bad and uncharacteristic loss, Um, but at the same time, like I said, I mean they're still seven and three. They're still in great position in the AFC. They're certainly going to win the division. That's going to, you know, they're going to win the division going away. That's not going to be a problem. And uh, and you know this team's going to be in the playoffs. And then you know, like kind of what I was saying with Brady, uh, you know, once they're back in the playoffs and once we're into January, uh, you know, that's kind of anything can happen at that point. You know, it's a one-game season, and uh, I would still take Belichick and Brady. Over a lot of the other kind of, you know, uh, duos, uh, quarterback-quarter uh, coach duos that ha- we have across the NFL, uh, you know, I certainly would take them uh, over everybody in the AFC. Still, uh, that's for sure. And I think that we tend to just react on a week-to-week basis to kind of what we just saw. And now the sky is falling again uh, when you know during the six-game win streak and after Green Bay, they were going they were going on to win the Super Bowl. Uh, so there's there's something you know to that as well.
0: Yep. Well, okay, but I'm going to actually circle back because now I kind of remember what I I did want to say. And you sort of brought it up there again, that when January rolls around, Belichick and Brady will just do what they need to do. But let's just keep one thing in mind. History tells us that the Patriots really only make the deep, deep Super Bowl like playoff runs in the seasons where one they get the playoff by and two usually they've got to have the number one seed there were a couple times they did as the number two seed early on in, in the brady belichick run but lately i mean they haven't played a lot of playoff games on the road in recent years and i i just think that trying to play a playoff game on the road you know if you're going to kansas city in january and i know the chiefs have had a history themselves kind of in the opposite direction that, you know, Arrowhead seems to be easy to play in in January. It's just September through December where it's difficult, but teams (laughs) go in there January and seem to win. But I, I just, I don't know. This team, especially given their road record this year, you want them to go out on the road for the playoffs, and it just—that's the whole thing about turning it on. I mean, like you kind of proposed earlier, Evan. If they go like eleven and five, or or twelve and four, and you know maybe—I mean, right now if the season ended here, they're they're the third seed, so they're playing wild card weekend. And as it is, they're two games behind Kansas City. With six weeks to go, I know Kansas City's got some tough games on the schedule too. But but it's conceivable that the Patriots—I mean—they're going to win their the AFC East, but they could finish as a three seed and have to play on Wild Card Weekend. And they have never gone to the Super Bowl in this current regime when they've had to play on Wild Card Weekend.
1: Yeah, sure. No, I, I mean, the, the, getting those top two seeds is big. I, I'm just simply saying that, like, I. I I give it Brady and Belichick any putter's chance in any game, and I just don't see, you know, really when it comes to January, we can talk about the hypotheticals of, you know, going to Arrowhead would be tough, going to Pittsburgh would be tough. All those things are true and, and, and are valid. It's just, you know, at, at the end of the day, what I'm always looking for out of my teams or out of the Patriots or whatever team I'm covering is do you have a chance to win what you or the ultimate goal? Do you have a chance to get to where you want? To get and then let's let them loose, you know. Let's let the rest of it happen. And to speak to your point of the, you know, the number two seed, uh, you know if they win in pittsburgh in a couple weeks then they're going to get a top two seed unless they uh you know mess up someplace else along the way if they take care of business and all the other games and they win in pittsburgh um then they can even probably afford a, a loss against you know a minnesota or something like that it's really the four games against the AFC east those are four cupcake games that they need to uh, take care of business going down to miami is never easy for them they're gonna have to win that game uh they have to go for uh, you know six and oh this year against the AFCs, there cannot be any... They don't have room, they don't have margin for error um, for a, a divisional loss like that um, in terms of what where their standing is in the AFC. But like I said, I'm just not... You know, I'm not too concerned uh, about you know going on the road in these places because with those guys, uh, you know, with Belichick and Brady, and and what we've seen out of this Patriots team, I mean, they will have a very good chance. I mean, heck, they could even be a road favorite in a playoff game, and I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, that's just kind of the way that that this organization is run. So again, it's just you know we can talk about the hypotheticals, but ultimately you know, you just want to be in that position, right? You just want to be in that playoff game and then let's take care of the rest when it kind of gets to that point.
0: Sure. No, I, I get it. By the way, have I really been that gloomy here? I, I hope I'm not uh, in the running for, like, uh, to replace the uh, a certain dark night on the airwaves in Boston. I, I'd like to think I'm no, I'm no, not that no. pessimistic. And, and you know what, I understand tech... <laughs> it
1: because the issues that they had in Tennessee were kind of all of the issues that we have seen that we've been saying and hammering, like, these are the Patriots' weaknesses this year. And that is that, that entire game was kind of a microcosm of all of their weaknesses. So, obviously, they're going to come back out and and you know kind of rear their ugly head after a game like that i just think that you know um it's always important to like look at the big picture and, and realize that this team is is still seven and three and still in a very good position and i think 12 and four if they if they lose one more game the rest of the way and they go 12 and four i still think that that is a top two seed in this afc um especially with the way that you know pitts is kind of hot and cold at times and they have that head-to-head against Pittsburgh as well and then there are some tough games on that schedule for Kansas City Kansas City is not running the table I don't think Um, so we'll see what happens but I, I think that you know it's very important to get those top TCs. I agree that that's kind of always been the blueprint for the Patriots, but if they don't, then, you know, I'm confident in this team that uh, that they could probably pull out a win anywhere, anytime if they play their best football. But uh, we could be talking again in January and say, you know, maybe this team just wasn't that good. Um, and I think that that's definitely a possibility I'm just not ready to say that quite yet
0: okay well I hope we do talk again in January and if there's any uh, bright side for the Patriots coming out of the bye week is in their final six games they're not going up against any former Patriot coaches so uh, that that should be a plus there uh, Evan, like I said, hopefully we can touch base again uh, at the end of the regular season to kind of uh, uh, get a recap and kind of look ahead to the uh, to the upcoming playoffs uh, again. Uh, Evan, thank you for for spending extra time here on the podcast. I I really do appreciate it, and of course, again, we can follow you on Twitter at ezlazar, ezlazar, right?
1: <laughs> Correct. You got it.
0: All right, again, that's uh, Evan Lazar, Patriots beat reporter for CLNS Media, and you can find that online at, at cl- clnsmedia.com. And, of course, they've got Twitter handles, too. Check out Evan's work. He does a great job covering the Patriots. And, uh, again, you can uh, follow us on social media by searching Tom Up for Sports Talk on Facebook and on Twitter. Our handle is at ULSTDMC. We'll get the links to, the, uh, to this podcast up there uh, as soon as it's available. Well, and again, thank you, Evan Lazar from CLNS Media. And until next time, my name is Todd Blenier. Thank you all for checking out the TOSP Podcast right here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network.